Well, the Sunday uh, was supposed to be the last Sunday of the Guide on, God on Our iPod series, um, and I had a great Jack Johnson song lineup. We got any Jack Johnson fans here? Okay, we got more Jack Johnson fans than Bruce Coburn fans, noted. Um, but uh, I don't know, I, I just felt like the God, had something, God had something different for us this morning, and so I'll save the Jack Johnson song for next summer. Um, but is it okay if I share something different with you this morning? You guys okay with that? A few of you? Okay. That's good. Um, and I'm going to begin with a little bit of an asterisk and just, uh, uh, and I'll just say as a pastor, uh, this is, this has been a little bit of an interesting season in terms of, uh, what to share, when to share, uh, because, and if you're new here, um, I want you to know that this, sun, this Sunday, this message, I'm going to say some specific things to our body in this season. Uh, I believe that these things are not just for our body, but beyond that. Um, but if you're feeling like you're a little bit out of the loop, uh, that's okay. It's okay to be out of the loop. Um, and I just uh, would encourage you to, to continue to engage with us and journey with us. Um, but uh, yeah, this is going to be a little bit more in-house than I would typically like to, like to, to do it. But... I feel like it is important uh, in, in this season. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created it with a uh, specific hierarchy in mind. You know, God is creator and he created, uh, like I said, the heavens, the earth, the land, the water. And then he created, you know, the fish and the animals. And then he created uh, man and woman and everything in the Garden of Eden was uh, living together in perfect harmony. God creator, and then God gave authority to man to govern and to steward his creation. To co-partner with him in the ongoing creation. Uh, and to oversee uh, the rest of creation. The, uh, the Hebrew people had a word for this harmony, and they called it shalom. Everybody say shalom. Living in the proper harmony that God created us to live in with him and with others and with the creation around us. And, the, and it says that we were created in the image of God. And if you've been around SunWest for any length of time, you've heard me talk about this, uh, this theme before. But we're created in the image of God. We're created to create. We're created to build. We're created to actually co-partner with God and what he's doing in this world. It's part of our identity. It's part of how he made us. If you want to explore that theme further, we did a sermon series called Created to Create, uh, I think over a year ago. Uh, you can see it in our sermon vault. But that was the intention. It didn't take very long, and Adam and Eve uh, were tempted by Satan, uh, which in the form of a serpent, and the name Satan means accuser. Everybody say accuser. And so Satan starts accusing God, and uh, Adam and Eve start questioning God. And so they decide to follow the voice of the enemy, the accuser, instead of the voice of their creator. And you can see the fruit of that very quickly, because Adam and Eve actually begin pointing fingers at one another. And so, um, you know, Eve makes a mistake. She blames the serpent. Uh, Eve gives the fruit to her husband, and the husband blames his wife. Um, Good thing that was thousands of years ago. People don't do that today, right? Um, and so, 
They follow the lead of the accuser and begin to point fingers at one another. Soon after that, uh, we have Cain and Abel, offspring of Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel. And uh, Cain kind of follows the lead and takes a step further. He actually ends up killing his brother Abel. And God uh, gives Cain a consequence, and he says that you'll be a wrestler, restless wanderer. And as I spoke on this last year, uh, he was sent to live in the land of Nod. And the word Nod, uh, you guys know the term nodding off? What some of you do when I'm speaking on Sundays? The term nodding off, uh, that's, that's where we get it from because the word Nod means uh, nothing. He's trying to inhabit a land of nothing. He's going to a place that is uninhabitable. And when you nod off, you actually leave reality and you go to somewhere else. And so God sends Cain east to wander, this life of wandering. I just want to point out that when, when Adam and Eve left the garden, they left it on going east. Everybody say, going east. And then when Cain followed their lead, he continued to go east. Not west, east. He continued to go east. And east in the Genesis story is a representation of moving away from the shalom and the created order and what God desired for us. And then we come to Genesis 11. So if you have... Um, your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 11 with me. We have ushers. If you don't own a Bible, um, you can put your hand up. Uh, or you don't have a Bible here this morning, put your hand up. We'd love to give you a Bible. If you don't own one, you can take it home. It's our gift to you. But you can turn to Genesis 11. Uh, and if you don't uh, have a way to read it, it'll be on the screen as well. So at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language. Everybody say, same language. Same language. And they used the same words. Say, same words. same words. As the people migrated to which direction? As the people moved away from the plan and the shalom uh, that God desired for them, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. And they began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. And they said, come, let us build. Everybody say, build. A great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower, and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they will all speak, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So, in this time, everybody's speaking the same language. Everybody understood each other perfectly. Wouldn't that be nice? If you could just understand each other perfectly? If I could understand my wife perfectly? She could, or is this just me? 
Does anybody else have misunderstandings with their spouse, misunderstandings with their kids? Do you guys always understand your parents? So even when we speak the same language, we often live in a, in a state of misunderstanding. Uh, I had multiple arguments with my wife this year, confession, or this week. Uh, she, doesn't want, she told me not to, ask, to talk about the details, so I won't tell you the details. But we misunderstood each other multiple times this week. I thought you said this. No, I thought you said this. No, I, I understood that you said this. That's not what I said. And we did this a few times this week. It's not abnormal. It happens. So it would be nice if we lived in this time when everybody completely understood each other, completely spoke the same language. And we see that in the story of Babel that they were united. They were united and they were building something. And this, this is, I think, uh, there's something that God created us for. He created us for unity and he created us to create. And we see both of these things in the story of Babel. They weren't inherently doing anything wrong when they were building the city because actually God had created them to create. He had created them to build. And I don't think there was anything wrong with them being united because God had actually created us to, be, to walk in unity with each other. These are things that reflect the Imago Dei. These are things that reflect the image of God in us. And to that we say, Amen. But they got something wrong. They, they missed something. I'm going to invite my friend Sam Ramirez to the stage. You guys can say, hi, Sam. Where's Sam? Samuel, come on up, brother. Yeah, you can give Sam a clap. So as Sam is coming up, so they're united, they're building. And what does God do to actually stop them? He, he gives them different languages so they cannot understand each other, and that scatters them across the earth. This is my friend Sam, and he speaks really, really good Spanish. Sí, señor. You need a microphone, Sam. Sí, señor. Sí, señor. I'm going to ask Sam to read us a passage of scripture. You got it there? Cuando llegó el día del Pentecostés, estaban todos unánimes juntos. Y de repente vino del cielo un estruendo como de un viento recio que soplaba, el cual lleno de toda la casa donde estaba sentados, donde estaban sentados. Y se les aparecieron lenguas repartidas como de fuego, asentándose sobre cada uno de ellos. Y fueron todos llenos del Espíritu Santo y comenzaron a hablar en otras lenguas según el Espíritu les daba que hablasen. Moraban entonces en Jerusalén judíos, varones piadosos de todas las naciones bajo el cielo. Y hecho este estruendo, se juntó a la multitud y estaban confusos, porque cada uno de les oía hablar en su propia lengua. Y estaban atónitos y maravillados, diciendo, Mirad, ¿no son galileos todos estos que hablan? ¿Cómo pues les oímos nosotros hablar cada uno en nuestra lengua en lo que hemos nacido? Partos, medos, elamitas y los que habitamos en Mesopotamia, 
en Judea, en Capadocia, en Ponto, en Asia, en Frigia, en Panfilia, en Egipto y en las regiones de África, más allá del Sirene, y romanos aquí residentes, tanto judíos como proselitos, cretenses y árabes, les oímos hablar en nuestras lenguas las maravillas de Dios, y estaban todos atónitos y perplejos, diciéndose unos a otros, ¿qué quiere decir esto? Mas otros burlándose decían, están llenos de mosto. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said, you don't even know what you're amening. Anybody else confused right now? Anybody else understand what Sam just read? Oh, who said that? Somebody said something. Oh, you speak Spanish? We speak Bolton. Oh, we speak Bolton. Hey, thanks, Sam. Everybody give Sam a hand. So when Sam reads Spanish, I have no idea what he's saying. And I've been to Mexico many times with, with Sam. Uh, but he's using words that I don't understand. Unless he says taco, burrito, quesadilla. Like, I get, I get those Mexican words. Those, those speak to me. But then he goes into his own language, and it, it confuses me. I can't, it, it doesn't compute for me. And so God took people at the, at the uh, uh, when they were building Babel, and he scattered them. Why did he scatter them? Because they were building a city for their own fame. They were building, building their own city that were opposite of God's purposes, and God scattered their efforts by confusing their language. And so you can imagine, if there was a bunch of us, and we all had a different language, and you, you felt a little bit of that right now when Sam was reading, uh, that it's confusing. It's confusing. Let me read for you the passage that Sam uh, just read. It's Acts chapter 2. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation, say every nation, living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud, loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Amazing, hey? Uh, many of you guys know, uh, know Chris King. I was talking about this with uh, Chris King this weekend. And uh, he actually had this experience. Leading worship in the Czech Republic And as he was leading worship, he began singing and speaking in Czech. And someone came up to him and was like, dude, you're singing and speaking in Czech. 
And he, and he didn't realize that he was doing that. So it's not just that this happened in Acts. It does happen even today. So what God is doing at Pentecost versus what God is doing at Babel, I want to talk about this this morning. Because, and I want to first talk about what God didn't do at Pentecost. You would think that because of what God did at Babel, and they were kind of out of line with God's shalom and what God wanted for them, uh, that God would completely undo what he had done at Babel. But you notice that he didn't. You would almost think that because of Babel, diversity was a bad thing. You would almost think because of Babel that different languages was a bad thing. But the miracle of Pentecost is not just that people spoke another language. It's that God, through the Holy Spirit, brought unity without uniformity. You guys follow me? The miracle of Pentecost is that God, God through the Holy Spirit, brought unity without uniformity. The Babel unity was a result of two things. It was a result of uniformity, and it was a result, it was a result of uh, a group of people looking for selfish gain or fame, as we read in Genesis 11. A group of people that wanted to be elevated above other people. Fame is a position of contrast. And in Pentecost, God, through the Holy Spirit, comes down and it says that it looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And tongues throughout Scripture, or the idea of your, your tongue throughout Scripture is used with the metaphor of fire uh, more than once. We've had a lot of fires going on in the West this summer. Lots of forest fires. It's been hard. Sometimes I'm on my mountain bike and I'm breathing in smoke because there's fires happening in a mountain pass just west of us. The cloud is hazy. And in Proverbs 18.21, it says this, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. And our tongue, our tongues is like a spark. Our tongues is like fire. And our tongue has the power of life and death, and we have the capacity to partner with God and what he's doing, or partner with the accuser to build Babel. And God does something amazing at Pentecost because he doesn't bring the believers to a place of uniformity and agreement. He actually brings the, uh, the believers to a place of unity based on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go on one little rabbit trail. Stay with me and we'll come back to this. Is that okay? Are you guys with me? Okay. This past week I was reading in Job. And, uh, and I was up early one morning and I couldn't sleep. And uh, my, de my devos that day was in the book of Job. So I started reading in Job. And I just felt like the Lord saying, read the whole thing of Job. Uh, and so I read all of Job front to back, that morning. Uh, and Job's an interesting book because you have this scene 
uh, at the beginning of Job, uh, where you kind of get this insight into heaven. And then for the next 37 chapters, uh, you have uh, God doesn't speak. But you have Job uh, speaking, and you have a bunch of his friends speaking. And uh, so tragedy hits Job's life, and he's trying to make sense of it all, and he has these three buddies that are trying to help him make sense of it. And I was thinking as I was reading Job that there's a lot of wisdom that his friends gave him. Like, let me, let me read something for you. Uh, like one of his friends, Eliphaz, says to him, Submit to God and you will have peace. The things will go well for you. Listen to his instructions and store them in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored, so clean up your life. If you give your lust for money and throw your precious gold into the river, the Almighty himself will be your treasure. He will be your precious silver. Then you will take delight in the Almighty. Look up to God. And this is his friend. And he goes on and on like this. And all of his friends say similar things to him like this. And I would say that to you and we would say, Amen. That sounds, that sounds like good wisdom. But look at this. You get to the end of Job and God speaks and God says this to Job's friends. And I think I have it on the screen. In verse 42, or chapter 42, verse 7, it says, You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. You've not spoken truth about me as my servant Job has. And I was thinking, anybody could just open Job up to the middle and they would think that, you know, there's some, some good wisdom and truth in there. But the problem is that Job's friends didn't have heavenly perspective. And if you read through chapter 40, you'll see that even Job doesn't even get it right. And, and the, the idea struck me this past week as I was reading through Job that we all live in chapters 3 to 39 all the time. We all live not completely seeing things from God's heavenly perspective. Do you guys agree with that? And we, and we get glimpses of it. And it's not like we don't speak truth to each other because it happens. But at the end of the day, God is God and we are not. And that, that's, that's God's message to Job at the end of Job. And in our flesh and in our humanness, we actually try and seek unity by agreement. And when, those, and when people don't agree with us, uh, our human tendency is to scapegoat. And if you don't know what scapegoating is, you turn on the TV. If, if you've, you paid attention to the U.S. elections at all, you'll see scapegoating in its finest form. You see leaders trying to get... Uh, get buy-in, not about what they're for, but about what they're against, and so they scapegoat. If you watch Big Brother, does anybody watch Big Brother? No. <laughs> Big Brother is classic scapegoating. It's people that are throwing other people under the bus because they want agreement. And scapegoating is where we take our own anxiety, fear, and project it onto some other individual or group, and we invite people to that because it gives us a false sense of unity. And this is the tactic of the accuser. And it's as old as Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. That we have a certain perspective, and if we can get people to agree with our perspective, then it brings a sense of unity. In fact, in Luke 23, verse 12, 
It's a haunting verse. It says this. It says, Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. Why did they become friends? Because they identified Jesus as a common enemy, and that actually brought them together. Unity through uniformity. Unity for identifying a shared enemy or identifying something you're against. And God created us for unity, and so we have this desire in our heart for unity. But as we saw in Babel, as we see in Luke 23, that unity actually is not the goal. So, Revelation 7 verse 9 says this. I think I got it on the screen. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held, and held palm branches in their hands. And so we see this picture in Revelation 7, in the New Jerusalem, people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. We see the picture in the New Jerusalem, which is, which is the language that John uses in Revelation to describe the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God comes fully, the new Jerusalem, it has diversity in it. It has diversity in it. It has differences. It has different languages. It has different tribes. But what unites people in the new Jerusalem? In the midst of diversity, what unites them? Well, if you go to the next, uh, the next verse, I don't have it on the screen, but just listen. So every, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, we have this diversity. They were shouting with a great war, roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. They fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. And they sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. They were bowing in worship. And when I, when, I, when I say the word worship, I'm not even talking about singing songs, even though that's part of our worship. But worship, when you break it down, is this, this bowing of your knee to Jesus as king. And we go back to Pentecost. What were the disciples doing before that event in Pentecost in Acts 2? They were worshiping. They were waiting. They were praying. We will not build, as a church, we will not build on the foundations of division, vengeance, and forced uniformity like Babel, or like the city Cain was building. I believe that God is calling SunWest to be a suburb of the New Jerusalem. Can I get an amen for that? God is calling SunWest to be a suburb of the New Jerusalem. He's calling us to a level of unity that isn't based on agreement, but a unity that's based on worshiping Jesus as King. Returning to shalom, returning to God as our creator, and we take a rightful spot under him, and we say yes to him.
Worship, prayer, submission to God is what preceded Pentecost. When we look at the New Jerusalem, we see unity with diversity because they're all worshiping Jesus as king. They're laying down their perspectives that are fleshly and worldly. Even though there's probably some, midst, there's some wisdom in there, just like Job's friends, but at the end of the day, God says, you don't actually see things clearly. And so we say, God, you're God and I'm not. You cannot build both Babel and the New Jerusalem. This is what I want to say to our church this morning. We can't build both Babel and the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is built on the ruins of Babel. The New Jerusalem is built on the ashes of Babel. The New Jerusalem is built as we tear down Babel and we say, I'm not interested in building my own kingdom. I'm not interested in being right as much as I'm interested in worshiping the one who I know is right. So we got to burn Babel down. Building, and if we try and build, because remember, building and creating is part of the image of God in us. If we try and build into the future, because God has a future for SunWest. He has a future for us. If we try and build without worship, we will build Babel. The unity and the, the, unity and the building in, in Genesis 11 wasn't really outside of God's design for them. It's just the fact is that they just forgot that God was God and they were not. And if we build without worship, we will end up building Babel. And so this morning, I want to call us, if you call SunWest home, and if you don't, that's totally okay. But I want to call us to a different level. I want to call us to a def- different level of unity that's not based on always agreeing. I want to call us to be a suburb of New Jerusalem and not build Babel. I want us to take seriously the potential of our tongues to either partner with God in the New Jerusalem or partner with the enemy who is the accuser to build Babel. So I'm asking us as individuals to take personal responsibility. How do we use our tongue? What are we building and how are we building it? And is it actually a part of the New Jerusalem or is it a part of Babel? And I, and, and I would ask you to take personal responsibility for that, and I will take personal responsibility for that. And I can say that building Babel is not beyond me. I've done it. I've done it, and I confess that. And I actually had a meeting this week with somebody, and we had different perspectives, and, we were, and it, 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 you know, we, it felt like we were going against each other. And about half an hour into the meeting... We just had to reset the meeting. And I had to confess and say, I'm sorry, like, I'm not, I think we mis- we're misunderstanding each other. And we need the Holy Spirit to actually hear each other and, and move forward together. So, I have a, so please take personal responsibility and recognize that uh, your personal worship impacts us as a corporate community. Your worship of Jesus, your bending your knee to Jesus has an has a exponential effect as a community. And as we do that individually, I believe that we'll begin to build the suburb of New Jerusalem that God's calling us to build and not Babel. I'm inviting you to take corporate responsibility. And I know that fall is busy 
Um, but I would say that uh, church, our window is right now. And I look at my schedule and it's filling up, but there's some things that I want to prioritize and I, I want to just say, um, invite you into them in this season to prioritize them. And one of them is deep stream on the 26th. Uh, we're going to have a deep stream, which is a night of prayer and worship as a community. And that's going to be on September 26th. Say September 26th. It's a Tuesday night. There's going to be childcare. Please make that a priority. I know sports are kicking off, um, but we need to come together as a community. Worship needs to be our response. And, and we know that God's calling us to build something. God's calling SunWest forward. Uh, but it's not, but it's out of a posture of worship. And when we bend our knee to Jesus, that involves repentance and recognizing that Babel is not beyond any of us. September 26th, this Wednesday, our pastoral staff and our leadership team are going to be gathering together um, just outside of Cochrane for a day. Um, and it's an important day as we come together, as we pray together, as we ask the Lord what he has for us in this season. And I want to invite you to pray for us on Wednesday. Um, everybody, take your phones out right now. I want you to put Wednesday in your phone, and I want you to put September 26th in your phone. I'll wait. This Wednesday, whatever day that is. Uh, 6.30, I believe it is. It'll be in your bulletin. 6.30 at Wood Green Presbyterian. So Wednesday, let's take that day and let's pray together as a community as the pastoral staff and the leadership team meet and we pray and we seek the Lord and what's next for us. In the office on Wednesday, um, you know, it's good to pray on your own, but it's, it's great to actually come together. It's like a unifying act, a corporate act as we bend the knee and we worship God, we pray together. Um, the office is going to be open on Wednesday from 1 o'clock to 2.30 and from 7 o'clock to 8.30. 1 o'clock to 2.30 and 7 o'clock to 8.30. Um, for anybody that wants to come, uh, that is able to come during the day or the evening, uh, and just spend time in prayer together as a community on that Wednesday. I'm going to invite the, the band to stage. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes your eyes closed. I'm just at, you know, asking God through his spirit to, to reveal to us, is there a place in my heart and my life where I've participated, participated in building Babel instead of building and co-partnering with God to build the new Jerusalem? And with your eyes closed, and uh, is God raising awareness for you if there's a place in what check let's get your eyes are supposed to be closed close your eyes Father, is there a place 
in our hearts where we've actually uh, come in agreement with the enemy, the accuser, and sought unity through scapegoating and uniformity. Where we've taken on a perspective that isn't a heavenly one. And with your eyes closed, if you, if you feel like uh, you've done that, I would just invite you to put up your hand and say, that's me, as a moment of just confession before the Lord saying, I've done that. I've scapegoated. I've, I've participated in building something that actually was against what God has wanted me to build. And if you in your heart desire to partner with God and what he wants to do in our future in building the new Jerusalem, which means bending your knee, recognizing that we all don't have heavenly perspective, but Jesus does, and so we bend our knee to him as the king. And you want to say, God, I bend my knee to you. I want to be a part of what you're doing, which means laying down my rights. Just raise your hand. Thank you. And we know that just raising your hand doesn't mean, hey, this is going to be easier as we go forward, but we believe together that Jesus is bigger uh, than whatever we feel or see going on and that we trust that he has a call for us as a community to build something that is only possible as we bend our knee in worship, as we wait on the Lord, as we pray, and we rely on the Holy Spirit actually to help us move forward together in unity that embraces diversity and doesn't rely on uniformity and scapegoating. So Jesus, we thank you that you are Lord. We just acknowledge that you are King, or that we are not. And Lord, we say sorry. Lord, we confess our sin. We confess our movement east, our movement away from actually the shalom that you've called us to in the way that you've called us to it. And Lord, would you give us as a community a posture of worship? Lord, a willingness to acknowledge that we don't get things right and a dependency on your spirit to lead us forward, to co-partner with you in what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, God didn't make everybody the same again. God didn't make everybody speak the same language again. He actually allowed the diversity of the church to remain, and he said, it's good. But he called us to unity, which is only possible when we're diverse through the Holy Spirit. And so please, church, I urge you in these coming days, in these coming weeks, to take a posture of worship, to take a posture of saying yes to Jesus for what he has for you personally and what he has for us as a community. And continue to lay down the places where we've decided to build Babel instead of the new Jerusalem. So Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your spirit, Lord, that convicts and also encourages. Your Holy Spirit is called 
the advocate. And so, Lord, we thank you that you advocate for us. Lord, that you're calling us to a higher level of unity than this world knows. And so, Lord, I, I pray, uh, God, that in this season you would draw us together through your Spirit and that we would feel the encouragement and we would feel your Spirit propelling us forward. And we just say, yes, Jesus, to you. You are king, and we bend our knee to you. And Lord, I thank you for the differences of my brothers and sisters. And I thank you through their differences, I understand you greater. And so Lord, I pray that you would raise the appreciation in a, within us for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.